right over there? Yeah, I was just checking. Because you had me, like, curious if the trivia was, uh... Worth noting. Yeah, and it's really not. (laughs) (laughs) God damn. Yeah, I was going to say, my favorite part about the podcast is the uh, (laughs) pre-recording ramble. You're still still going through your cell phone. I'm sorry, I'm (laughs) being texted about big news. Big news, Kristen Pennington. Oh, wait. Welcome to the Nightmare Box, presenting Mistakes Were Made, presenting another edition of the 222 Star 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 222 Day, 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 Day. My name is Brad Bloom, and I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the soon-to-be doing something very important, and we'll explain to you in a few seconds, Kristen Pennington. <laughs> you don't want to explain it? No, you... you I'll let the women do this. Uh, I, I, know drug, my, I know my sexual roles. Aw. <laughs> I drug Brett to the courthouse today, because mm-hmm. we signed our marriage license. Mm-hmm. And we set a date. <laughs> and we did. And uh, the hilarious thing... For those of you out there who've never been married, because I've never been married and I didn't realize that they did this, uh, we had to affirm in the eyes of the Lord, before telling them that we weren't doing a religious service, that... Um, we're not related. Yeah, we're not related. <laughs> Which had me thinking, like, who goes to the courthouse on the day you get married and be like, yeah, I've been fucking my sister for the past three years and it's about time we, you know, <laughs> put a ring on it. My favorite part, though, if you're a new listener and you're not aware, um, Brett's father is deceased. Yeah, um, I had a hilarious moment. We <laughs> drunk-dialed a very good family friend last yeah. night trying to figure out... Uh, Love you, Becky. <laughs> ...family information that we needed, and uh, one of those family facts that we needed was where Brett's dad was born, yeah. and uh, Brett's dad is not with us for us to ask <laughs> Brett's dad. And Brett's mom lives in England, so Brett's mom was definitely asleep when we were filling this out. Um, So, For the record, we planned on doing it today. We wound up doing it last night over a bottle of wine. So, like, it wasn't like it was a spontaneous (laughs) drunk decision. No, you wanted to spontaneously, drunkenly buy ridiculous masks because we have to wear masks (laughs) for the ceremony. And I was trying to be cute and showed you, like, the application. You were like, let's do it! So, anyway, we get the thing filled up. Uh, We had to drunk dial Becky to try to figure out where Brett's dad was born. We sober called Brett's mom today and realized we put the wrong thing on the application. So while we're standing at the courthouse, Brett has Mm -hmm. to correct the information. And uh, how did you you choose to... The the lady goes, so he was born in Michigan and he's deceased, right? And I was like, no, 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 no. Um, Not the part... No, he's definitely still dead. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't born in Michigan. She did not hear me or did not like the joke, but I was dying underneath my little black face mask. I, I, I kept... I kept giggling. Like, the rest of the time we were there, she was asking her questions. I was like, yeah. Sure, whatever you say. There's a look on her face. She didn't, still deceased. Yeah, she didn't know what part I wanted to correct and how we fucked it up that bad. <laughs> so, no, he's dead in a door now. How do, you know, he's it's a good thing big they... Big bag of ashes. I don't know. Good thing they fact-checked that shit, because I accidentally put that I was born in the wrong state, too, and didn't even realize it. So, maybe fill out your important legal documents while sober. Yeah, we did that, and we set a date. And it's very close. What day is that? It's two weeks from today. God damn right. So, one week from the time you guys are listening to this. Uh, Well, a week and 
a half-ish. It's on June 18th. God damn right. So, we set a date, and I'm excited. Fuck yeah. We're going to get married at the courthouse, do something really small, just Kristen and I, and then get drunk and make dinner the way that we normally do. <laughs> no, Not all the pomp and circumstance. We'll throw a party later on. You guys are invited. No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> I, I don't want you people around my family. <laughs> okay, so... um. Today's edition of Two Star Tuesdays, we're doing 2018's Our House <laughs> in the Middle of the Street. Our House, 2018. Um, so, how did you feel about this movie? I, I fucking reviews? loved it, and then the last five to ten minutes yeah. made me want to slit my own throat. Yeah. It was such a good concept. Yeah. It just... I would give this a steady 85%. Like, I would give it a really good rating and just be like, what the hell? Did you just have a CGI guy and you needed him? And what? I'll I'll give them... I mean, we'll get to all that later, but... Yeah. I loved this fucking film. I was like, how does this a two-star? It has to shit the bed. And normally, with the two-stars, they start to shit the bed with, like, 30 minutes left. And we passed the 30-minute point, got to the 15-minute point. I was like, I'm still with this fucking film. Yeah, it's, the, yeah, it's about the last 10. And I will give them, at the very least... Um, the last 10 is pretty atrocious, but... The fact that they only do it, like, once yeah, at least kind of makes it a little more forgivable. It's like, oh, man, like, you went hard on how bad that was, yeah. but at least you only did it the one time, unlike... I would have forgiven it almost if it would have happened in the first 20 minutes once, and then we never, you know, needed that again. Yeah, <laughs> unlike the Bye Bye Man, though, where you see that ridiculous CGI dog so many times <laughs> the movie. So I'll give him a little credit there. But anyway, so, and I feel like maybe the critics... Ish agree with us. Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes critic score is 60%. That's fair. Um, the audience score is 25%. Yeah. And so we're kind of on the edge of this not really quite being a two-star, but because the audience hated it so much, we're counting it. Well, my theory, and it's panned out a couple of times, not very many times with these two stars, is what you'll notice about our house. By the way, if you're new, pause now, go watch it. We're going to ruin it for you. Um the, the pacing of some of these films seems to piss off an American audience. Mm -hmm. Like, they want it to be go, 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 go. And that bugs me because it's not, like, how I would particularly write a horror film. You yeah. know, like, you've got to let it build. But I'm also, like, a Hitchcock-type fan, you know? I, I like that version where it's like, this is going to take two hours. But when you get there, you're going to fucking hit a wall. Like, it's going to be a bastard. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think with these more psychological movies, yeah, American audiences yeah. tend to hate them for some reason. Like, where's the ghost? Why, did, why didn't they slam that door? <laughs> I feel like Hereditary was very well liked, and it's mostly psychological, but you get the holy fuck what just happened moment yeah. very early into the movie, so maybe that's why people stick with it. Yeah, and a couple really big holy fucks. You know, yeah. Not just, uh, spoiler alert, pause, go see Hereditary. Um, when she sticks her head out the fucking window and loses it, that's one big fucked up mm. moment. But to me, the biggest fucked up moment is the next scene when he wakes up to his mom screaming on the driveway and like the flies are at the headless body. Yeah, and he of didn't tell daughter. her. Yeah, like he just like, walked inside. That's the holy yeah. fuck of hereditary. <laughs> yeah, we gotta find that. For some reason, it's not in the case. We gotta figure out where we put it and like revisit that movie because we only watched it the one time, and I feel like I've had enough time to breathe from it, and we've done enough. That two we can stars. dive into it again. Yeah, we've done it enough two stars that I kind of want to watch what a. Like more highly praised psychological mm -hmm. and movie. Midsummer, we need to do yeah, that. Yeah, we haven't one watched too. that one at all. I do want to see that. Sorry, um, <laughs> not to derail from this movie though, because this movie was pretty good. 
Um, the IMDb score was 5.3, so again, it's on yeah. the edge-ish, but uh, the audience hated it. Um, <laughs> so this was directed by Anthony Scott Burns. He hadn't really done very much work, hadn't done anything that But I... his cover art looked fucking Yeah, gorgeous. like all of the posters for all of his work. I didn't mean to hit myself just then. <laughs> Slap yourself in the face with I a pen? No, I hit oh, my okay. I thought I you just headphone. went pop. I, no, like, I hit my headphone. All right. Um... <laughs> Yeah, the cover art on all of his work looked super cool, yeah. so uh, maybe his work is super cool. I hadn't heard of any of it, yeah. though. Um, Two-ish writers on this. The actual writer of this movie is Nathan Parker. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess kind of co-writing along with him, though, was Matt Osterman, who wrote Ghost from the Machine, which came out in 2010, that this movie is he, based on. He wrote the original? Yeah. Not not the writer on this. He he's I guess they had him credited as one of the writers, but they said it was based on his oh, film. Oh, so he might have just got. So he's a probably writing, consulting. Yeah, he or, probably got a writing credit just yeah. for that. I thought you meant like the dude who wrote that last movie is like you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write the same do exact movie. No, the writer of this movie was Nathan Parker, but they had Matt Osterman listed as a writer on this movie. So I don't know if he consulted, if he just yeah. got credited, but he wrote. Um, like I said, a movie that came out in 2010 called Ghost from the Machine that Our House is based on. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, Our House came out in 2018, so it's only been eight years from the other <laughs> movie's release. I would really like to go back and visit this other movie because we read the summary for it. It's the exact yeah. same movie. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the parents both die, but the brothers appear to be closer in the other film. But, I mean, same yeah. premise. Like, this... They're trying to get their parents is, back. Yeah, and trying to deal invite. with the trauma yeah. and then creates a machine that invites other spirits and stuff. So I, I would really be curious to see um, if Ghost from the Machine ended the same way or yeah. if it was any better, like how it was executed in that, because it's not been that long since that movie was made. Um, but yeah, if you're going to check out this movie, maybe consider checking out that other one too, yeah. and then write us an email and let us know what mm-hmm. you thought. Send us an email at... Nightmareboxproductions at Gmail. God damn right, son. Um, this had five production companies. I did not write down all five of them. I That's only... never a good sign, but in this case, it worked. Yeah. Like, like yeah. this movie was actually pretty good. Um, I only wrote down the top credited production company, because to me, I feel like they're probably the ones who invested the most money in it. Yeah. Um, Prospero Pictures. Never heard of them. Hadn't really done anything that I was familiar with either. But the distribution company... We've dealt with them before. ...is IFC Midnight, mm-hmm. who also worked on Cabin Fever. Fuck yeah. Which was a disaster of a movie. Yeah. Don't go watch that one. We watched that one, and I can't <laughs> even remember it. Um, couldn't find a budget on this movie. The worldwide gross was only 24000 The DVD sales were less than two grand. Yeah, yeah. but the world gross was only $24,039, which makes me sad because it wasn't that bad of a movie. Like, it's not like some That's block... That's not even enough to pay everybody. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I guarantee they spent more money than that on it. But, it, I mean, it's not like some blockbuster flick that I'm just going to, like, rush out and go see. It's definitely a Netflix movie I'm going to watch at home. Yeah. But it was a pretty damn good movie. And I, I loved hope, it, yeah. I hope they're seeing some kickback from it being on Netflix, at least. I would easily revisit this film. Like, yeah. I don't want that to be understated. Like, I liked this movie. That was a good one. And it's always nice to... Not as good as the 
film we did a year ago, though. Oh, God. Did you see that stitches, memory? Yes. <laughs> it was stitches. I didn't see that memory. That fucking movie. You'll never let that die. I swear to God, if I open the mailbox ever and stitches is in the mailbox because you ordered it, I'm going to chuck it at your head. <laughs> it's grounds for the divorce. <laughs> um, there are several characters in this movie, but there are only... Um, five, I guess, major players, so those are the only yeah. ones I wrote down. Ethan is our main character. He's played by Thomas Mann. Um, he did one of the voice characters for the new remake of Lady and the Tramp. He's also done an episode. they did a remake of that. Yeah, they just did a... Is it like one of those live-action ones? I think so, yeah. I'm oh. pretty sure it was live-action. I've never seen it, but I, I saw like all the publicity for it, and I'm pretty sure, yeah, it was like a actual live-action mm. movie. Um, but he did, I think, if I'm remembering right, Jim Darling's voice, which is one of the owners, like the, yeah. the adult male main character. Um, he's done an episode of Drunk History, and I only God wrote that down because right. we were just watching Drunk History <laughs> the other we day. we might have a segment for you guys. It, not right now, but it's a few a months few months down the line, but I've secured one of my close friends for what is going to be the funniest shit you've ever heard. <laughs> um, he also was in Fargo. Yeah. Uh, Matt, who may honestly be the best character in this movie, is the younger brother. I fucking love that <laughs> He was played by Percy Hines White. Um, he looked like a tiny version of Edward Norton's little brother in American History X. <laughs> he, yeah. He killed that. Um, he hadn't really done much of anything that I was familiar with. I haven't seen any of them, but he is in an episode of the new Twilight Zone series. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just... A cool thing of yeah. note, because Brett and I are really into the old Twilights. We need to we need check to out the, the new, new ones, ones, but they're not on Netflix. What, what are they on? Do you Netflix, know? Like Hulu or some oh, shit like yeah, that. Amazon Prime. I don't know. Um, the old ones are uh, my favorite thing. And they were all made <laughs> in like 1953. So. <laughs> yeah, we have random nights where we just binge uh, the old Twilight episodes, so I would be very curious to see if the new ones are as good. Um Becca, super adorable younger sister, mm-hmm. is played by Kate Moore, I guess is how you pronounce it. Moyer, maybe. Um, I've never seen the TV show, but she was in The Handmaiden's Tale, which is a very yeah. popular show. And she was uncredited. I believe so... it's The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, yeah, sorry, Handmaid's Tale. Um, I read that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she was uncredited, so I'm assuming she played like just a very small side role, but she was also in the new remake of It. So, really? Yeah. I thought you would find like part that Part one or part two? Uh, part one. Yeah, the first so one. So the one we've seen, she's in that. Yeah. Uh, it said uncredited, though, so I'm oh. assuming she was literally just like an extra in it. But still, really cool. She was in yeah. it. Um, we still need to see part two. Yes, we do. Uh, Hannah, the girlfriend who isn't quite as major a character, yeah. but she's in the last chunk, so I wrote her down. Uh, she's played by Nicola Peltz. Um also have not seen this TV show, but again, another highly praised one. She was in Bates Motel. I thought that's... I, I've been... I was looking at her like, I've seen her somewhere. Bates Motel is the um, the reboot of Psycho. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great show. Yeah, if you've not which I've heard it. it's great, but I... I think she plays, like, one of Norman's girlfriends, but not, like, the major one with all the me- medical disorders. I think she's, like, series one type stuff. She was also in, I didn't write down which one because I stopped keeping up with them a long time ago. She was also in one of the more recent Transformer movies. Mm. Uh, I think she, ma- I think maybe the one that uh, fuck, what's his name? Marky Mark. 
Yeah. Was she um, the one that replaced uh, Thumb Girl? No. Thumb Girl. No, that was... Uh, shoot, what is her name? She's a famous model. I can't think of her name off the top of my head, but no, she's a very famous model. Um, replaced her. I think this girl is in the one, like the new ones that Shia's not in at all. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't realize uh, Mark Wahlberg. Out. I could not think of his fucking name. You I called think. him Marky Mark. Well, that's what gonna, he used to go by. I was just going to let you have that 80s reference. <laughs> Marky Mark. <laughs> I couldn't think of his name. I think she's in the ones that Mark Wal- Wahlberg was in. Um, and then Tom, our neighbor, is played by Robert B. Kennedy. He was in The Suicide Squad, but I think it was just like a side role. Mm-hmm. And then also in Boondock Saints. But again, I think it Fuck was yeah. just a small side role. Love the Boondock um, Saints. But still. Uh... Very successful movies, so go Robert. Fuck yeah. Uh, but, but that's what you want. You want an accomplished actor that in a horror film. You want like an accomplished actor who the audience isn't going to be fixated on mm-hmm. comparing it to other things. It's like Johnny Depp was an established actor when Nightmare came out, but he had only done like one or two things before that. He wasn't Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp yet. Yeah. So like you could like, go, oh, I've seen that guy before, and he's great, but he, you're not going, he was better in Pirates. Yeah, <laughs> like Brad Pitt, like all you see is Brad Pitt when you see a Brad Pitt yeah. movie. It's not like, oh, this character is terribly interesting. It's like, oh, that's Brad Pitt yeah. in this movie. <laughs> My favorite one, Denzel Washington, where it's like I'm psychologically comparing him forever to like Training Day, an American gangster, a man on fire. <laughs> I think Denzel, though, in my opinion, is... John Q. Oh, yeah, John Q. I think Denzel, in my opinion, though, is one of the few very famous A-list actors who can kind of disappear into a role because he's such a phenomenal actor. fucking brilliant. Not that Brad Pitt's bad, he just... I see Brad Pitt or Johnny Depp. Compared to Denzel, Brad Pitt is lazy. (laughs) (laughs) But you have some interesting trivia for us. I do. I have one bit of interesting trivia, and it's about a completely innocuous part of this film that doesn't really make any sense. But I learned something today, so I thought I would share it to you guys. Um, It's exciting for me because I already knew what it was, and so it's a fun little thing we can share. Yeah. So this film, about four minutes into the film... Features the Wilhelm scream, and you guys might be sitting around unless you're audio engineers going, what the fuck is the (laughs) Wilhelm scream? That scream that you hear four minutes into this film while they're playing video games, it comes out of the TV, is an effect that has been used in more than 400 films and TV shows. It's named after a character from the film uh, The Charge of Feather River in 1953. That was Private Wilhelm. Uh, in the film, it, it's a western, and in the film, I guess they're fighting the Indians, and he gets shot in the thigh with an arrow, and it's the first time that anybody used the Warner Brothers stock sound library. So that's not where the sound came from, but that's the first time that the sound was used from the stock library. It was also used in Star Wars and the Indiana Jones franchises, as well as three Grand Theft Auto video games <laughs> and Red Dead Redemption. But it originates from a series of six total screams that were recorded on the set of Distant Drums in 1951. I didn't look into it, but I think you can understand what happens in this film when I explain the title, like the technical title of the Wilhelm. Um, They are labeled as, quote, man getting bit by alligator (laughs) and he screamed, uh, end quote. But there are six total screams. All six screams are technically the Wilhelm scream. Yeah, it's but one of the most the, famous. Ah! <laughs> it's one of the most famous uh, scream sounds. It's used in 
countless works. I thought that was interesting because you don't really um, think about it, but yeah, the, the countless actors have been dubbed over with this one dude's scream from the 50s. And I had his name written down. He wrote uh, Purple Peter... Purple People Eater. Oh, I didn't know that. The guy who did the one of the Wilhelm screams that they believe to be the Wilhelm is the guy who wrote and uh, sung that song. That's hilarious. I did not know yeah. that. <laughs> I have that song stuck in my head the rest of the episode now. <laughs> one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. Yep, he I used to love that. that song when I was a kid. So that's my little bit of trivia. <laughs> that's fun. It's more about Warner Brothers than it is about our house, but <laughs> it's in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> But yeah, I think that happens whenever um, Matt and his best friend, I believe his name was Dag, are playing a uh-huh. video game, and you can't see what they're playing, but off screen you hear what sounds like <gasps> somebody being shot. <laughs> <laughs> so that's fun. So we got a synopsis? Sure. Um, so the premise of this movie is basically Ethan is a kid off in college who is very smart, like a very um, scientific, like yeah. intellectual creator type. Um He's come home at the beginning of the movie to have dinner with his family. He only goes to college an hour away, so it's not like he's that far away. Um, You can make the drive, my dude. (laughs) But he comes home to have dinner with his family, and immediately after dinner, he's like, I have to go back to college because Mm -hmm. it's the one night we can break into this one building on campus (laughs) and test my experiment I've been working on so long. Even though later on in the film we were capable of doing it in the garage, we could have just done that. Yeah, and you think he could (laughs) have just called his family and been like, hey, let's do dinner tomorrow night instead. Yeah. Tonight I have to break in, but moving on. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, so he comes, he eats dinner, and... I guess he was supposed to take his little sister, Becca, to her swim meet and ends up bailing on it. And his parents are like, fine, whatever, we'll figure it out. And he goes yeah. uh, off to college. His experiment fails and he gets called. Causes a campus-wide blackout. Yeah, causes a campus-wide blackout. And he gets called, um, I think it's the next morning maybe, Yeah. Um, by his younger brother, Matt, who it seems a little inappropriate that an adult didn't break the news to him. Yeah. Do they not have an aunt or anyone? No, they didn't. That's why he became dad. Apparently. Um, <laughs> his little brother calls him to be like, you've got to come back. There was an accident. And then we time jump into... Seamlessly. Yeah, but that's, that's one of our topics we're going to get into. <laughs> we time jump into... Ethan has apparently dropped out of school and is now at home being Mr. Mom mm-hmm. to his younger brother and younger sister and taking care of them and um, still very much obsessed with this invention that yeah. he was working on, which is supposed to create wireless energy. Yeah, um, it's Tesla's original yeah. concept that he wanted to make happen. So we could turn his machine on and it would immediately start powering your cell phone, turn powering all the, the house, lights on yeah. in the house. Yeah. Um, so he starts tinkering with this machine again because he... he period, is a scientist. He's obsessed with this invention that he wants to create, and also because he wants to better their lives, you know, create this machine, make money off of it, and not... Be struggling. Yeah, be struggling to take care of his two younger siblings. Um, Turns out the machine doesn't power anything but the spirit world. (laughs) So he's... Wrong electromagnetic (laughs) field. Inadvertently... Um, bringing spirits from the other side of the veil into mm-hmm. our side of the world. And they're not maybe the spirits he's hoping for. No, it becomes um, his aim at one point. 
uh, once he realizes what's happening, to bring his Parents, mom and dad yeah. back so that they can spend time, you know, with the brother and, you know, sister. Um, but it starts unleashing other entities that also have died, whose energy is trapped in that area. And then it expands to the whole neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. So, and then it eats a dick. <laughs> and then it eats a dick, so shit gets a little weird. Um, but you brought it up already. So yeah, my first and foremost probably favorite thing about this movie is it's seamless pacing. Yeah. Um, a lot of movies feel the need to put like the little title card at the bottom where it's like three months later yeah. or whatever. Monday, Tuesday. Yeah. And we don't even have like a funeral scene or anything. Like we jump from him showing up at the house and there's this cute scene too. I mean, it's not cute, but I mean, heart wrenching scene mm -hmm. where after they tell him his parents are dead, he's sitting in the car just crying, like beating yeah, the steering wheel. One door open. Yeah. Cause he can't work up the nerve to go home yet. Yeah. And then he goes home and he's like holding his sister and his sister's crying. And then we go into the house and like naturally you expect to then go to the funeral or whatever. Mm -hmm. Establish what's going to yeah. happen. And we immediately time jump into him making breakfast, which I initially assumed was the next morning. Yeah. And the family was not that upset. The little sister was just like chowing down mm -hmm. on cereal and the little brother was just in bed like, fine, I'll get up. And I was like, these kids are not appropriately These guys upset. are sociopaths. Yeah, I was like, what is going on here? And Brett was like, I think we skipped time. Yeah. I think we've gotten to where the character, you know, needs to be for the story. We yeah. yeah. In writing, you want to cut out all that exponential, or is that the right, not exponential, um, expositional? Yeah, like ex explaining. Like, yeah, explanatory. I could have just gone with that. Um, Horseshit. Yeah, all the fat that's on it. Like, um, And that's a huge hindrance in a lot of our two stars is that they there's so much fat. It's like, just get to the next yeah, it's fucking always, thing. It's always one or the other. They either aggressively leap into it and we're, we've murdered five characters in the first five minutes yeah. or we're dragging through all the fat for the first hour and yeah. then everybody dies in the last 30. Yeah. And with so, this one, they were like, yeah, we're going to time jump. And they time jump seamlessly throughout the film. Mm -hmm. um, in a way where it's like, why are they okay with this? Oh, this yeah. isn't, to, you know, they're not going to the funeral. The funeral has happened. He's been doing this. Yeah, this, and they show This him is established by him waving at the neighbor and the neighbor being like, hey, how are you guys holding up? You know, like. Yeah, and they show him doing this mundane day job. And it's like, oh, like, we've been here for a while. He's dropped so, out of school. He hasn't been talking to his girlfriend. He's got a job. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this, like once you realize what's happened, this seamlessly beautiful time jump. Because at first I was just, like I said, like mm -hmm. these kids aren't really upset. Like no. that's a little bizarre. And then I was like, oh, it's been a while. Yeah. They hit you with a big time jump seamlessly. And then as you said, they don't give you the Monday, Tuesday placard. Instead, I don't know what you call this thing, but like you click, it looks like an alarm clock, but it's got the days yeah, it's and like the date and stuff. Yeah, it's like a little calendar, but... Yeah, and so she's like every morning hitting that. So that establishes your day-to-day -day aspect. And even in the day-to-day, -day, they don't waste time. If the morning was important, but the rest of the day didn't matter, they didn't fuck around yeah, and you bring you... Yeah, you skip over the, to yeah, the next they day. They just bring you back to Tuesday now. And there's this really cool anxious pacing with that little uh, clicker calendar mm -hmm. thing because we establish in the very beginning 
that uh, the little girl, Becca, changes it with her mom. Like, it's kind of yeah. their little, like, private time together where it's like, Morning oh, you want to change the calendar? Yeah. yeah. Like, come change the calendar. And then she's too short to reach it, so she's got to step up on the chair. And, like, mm-hmm. her mom would, like, help her change it. And um, after the mom is gone, that's still her duty. She changes the calendar. And, like, she's the one that wants to do it. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, at some point in the movie, we kind of established the calendar's changing by itself after these spirits have kind of woken up. Subtle taking away of the control for the characters. Yeah, and there's this cool, um, because it comes and goes throughout the movie, like sometimes, like, we see it change, you know, several times within a few minutes, and sometimes it'll, you know, be like 10 minutes, you know, 30 minutes before we see it change again or whatever, so there's this cool kind of anxious pacing of, is she changing it? Is the ghost changing it? Is the spirit becoming, like... More aggressive. Is the sun doing it out of yeah. spite? Yeah. So, there, yeah, there's this neat, like, anxious energy every time it changes. Because sometimes they'll show her changing it. And sometimes she's like, did you change it? Like, what's <laughs> going on? So there's this, like, tension yeah. throughout the movie. Like, using something so simple. It's fucking gorgeous. Brilliantly done. What's the writer's name? Mm. I've got nothing but applause for him. I gotta, and, I'm, I gotta credit the original writer, because it's Matt Osterman's well, original idea. Well, then maybe the but, director for that particular yeah. move, um, or editor. <laughs> Nathan Parker wrote this one, Anthony Scott Burns. Yeah. I don't know why I've not been looking up the cinematographer, I just realized that I've not... We should do that yeah, in I the need future. To start, and the logline, we, we need to... Yeah, because yeah, this was actually a... I didn't have like a ton of moments where I was like, "That's a pretty shot," but it was a interestingly shot movie all mm-hmm. around. Like there was a scene too where it was a little psycho esque, where Dag's like in the bathroom, and yeah. then you see the ghosty, like Woman. smoky silhouette, and he rips it open. And there's nothing there. Like there was a lot of subtle, y- yeah, purposeful homage. Yeah, and it just like. The way it was shot was pretty neat. Mm-hmm. I didn't write that down this time because I feel like I I lean on pretty shots too pretty much. Pretty shots. But it was a attractively shot film. For attractively the most part. shot film, brilliantly fucking acted. And these mm-hmm. characters again, giving credit back to the original writer and you know whatever. I I need to see the original before I start complimenting this particular writer. But I I, I feel your whoever wrote this fucking thing. Actually, the concept is such a intriguing concept. concept I is think brilliant. even if the first movie is way worse to me, mm-hmm. like the fact that he birthed this like concept of this grieving family. It like, reminds trying. me a lot of uh, Frequency. Have you seen Frequency? Uh, Garth Brooks wrote a whole song for the theme song. But uh, basically this guy, he's, um, his dad was a New York cop or a New York firefighter. And he gets a transistor radio and turns it on. And because of the, the lights, mm-hmm. the, uh, help me. The green lights in the sky the that, that move around um, up in Alaska. Oh, Fucking, the northern lights. The northern lights. I, <laughs> I was uh, like, what? I, I was going to say that. I was like, northern is the wrong word. It has a different name. Um, but, yeah, uh, because of those. Aurora Borealis, yes. bitch. Yeah, yes. I remember the technical term. <laughs> because of those, it skips his transistor, so he's able to talk to his father. 30 years yeah, ago. I've not seen it, but you showed me a clip from it that was yeah. like kind of a holy fuck. It, like. it reminded me of that if it was a horror film. But we have so many complex characters in this thing. Mm-hmm. I'm just in love with it. I think um, my favorite, because I think that was the one moment in this movie we were both kind of like, oh, that's sweet, but also, oh, don't do that, was yeah. both 
of the little kids especially were so excited when they realized he was potentially summoning ghosts from the other realm. Yeah. They were like, you mean we get to see mom and dad? Yeah. And like, it's so like innocently sweet because they don't understand that like in, I mean, none of us understand what happens after death because none of us can really say what yeah, happens. But not like, been dead yet. In most <laughs> like theories about ghosts and like movies and all that shit, like your spirit carries a burden with it if it's lingering. Yeah. And so they don't understand this concept of like if mom and dad are still here, it's probably not for a good reason. And like spirits that linger tend to be like mourning or angry or carrying mm -hmm. some kind of negative energy so they're just like oh we can talk to mom and dad and mom and dad seem happy to have that connection mm -hmm. these these are benevolent ghosts yeah it's the other ghosts in the house and that create the confusion but there's that cute scene too where she's like in her room talking and the, yeah. the little brother comes the in hand. yeah and like the little brother comes in and he's like are you talking to mom and dad what would they say why don't they talk to me? Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, kid. Yeah, it's, like, it's such a sweet So scene. fucking beautiful. She's or, like, oh, or you're when, not ready. Or when they're sitting there trying to figure out what's going on and the record player starts playing their dad's favorite oh, song. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's a heart-wrenching, like, they're not terrified. Like, all the time, the, the little girls in ghost movies will talk and everybody else is scared, mm -hmm. you know, because only the little girl seems to see the beauty of what's going on there. But all three of them see the beauty in it. It's, they're, they're like, we can talk to mom and dad, and yeah. the, the, the bit passes that point because yeah. they also bring back the murder couple. But... <laughs> That, I think, th those tight moments for like almost an hour of the film where it's like, go, you go. Like, I want you to make your machine because like I've lost my father. We talked about that earlier. It would be cool if I had a thing that just like brought him back even as a hologram. To just be like, you're doing him. a good job. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like to specifically with that radio scene, um, which is kind of meaningful because at the beginning of the movie, Ethan is fixing his dad's radio because his dad's not like as technical and he's like just let me do it you're gonna screw it up yeah. you know <laughs> so ethan fixes the record player for his dad and then the record player starts playing later in the movie and it's like very like jumbled and chaotic and it sounds kind of sinister when it mm -hmm. starts up and when it finally catches its rhythm it is just the, the song, song he wanted to play and the kids are all like look it's mom and dad <laughs> so it's this moment where there's like a potential of like this is creepy what's happening and then it's like oh it's just dad we can just dance yeah he's not trying to hurt us everything's okay yeah it's so cute like i like their relationships like especially the two little kids like um the actor that played ethan wasn't bad by any means but he didn't have the emotional weight that the other two characters had no, i thought me. the guy who played matt was just that beautifully kid, done kind of weirdly reminded me of you even though i didn't know you as a kid <laughs> that kid is gonna be somebody well i definitely looked a lot like that <laughs> yeah. kid he had his Fucking, head shaved and he was angry yeah, at the world I, had, I, had, I used to have my head shaved my dad had a pair of boots that he used to wear in the air force that he gave me because i didn't like tennis shoes like i liked having boots on because i was getting in a lot of fucking fights when i was a teenager and it's a lot easier to you know not hurt your feet kicking somebody in the ribs if you've got steel plated <laughs> boots so <laughs> I was basically dressed like that kid for most of my, my high school career. And I was like, that's my guy. Like, I get it. He's at war with the world. <laughs> yeah, and like, he's like, 
angry and disappointed, but also like this really like intellectual character. Like you have this really cares about his sister. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you have this like beautiful moment where, um, Ethan starts fucking around with the invention at home again. And the little brother like realizes what he's doing. And he's so mad at him. Cause he's like, if you had just stayed and like, yeah, given our family time, if you had taken Becca to her swim meet, like our parents wouldn't have got hurt. And so that's kind of a... Because they wouldn't have gone on that exact route on that exact day for that exact yeah. reason. And that like, truck would have driven by without killing anybody. And that's kind of a trauma-based, like, hurt response because nobody can really yeah. know if Ethan wouldn't have died in his parents' place in that instance. Like, nobody can really know that things wouldn't have worked out the exact same way. So, like, that's kind of a hurt response. But, like... Later yeah, in the movie. Because logically, Ethan, him, and the little girl would have been in that car. Yeah. But <laughs> I like that he has that kind of childlike response where he's like, it's your fault. You weren't there. You abandoned yeah. us. But then later in the movie, when they realize they're talking to their parents, like, Matt's literally just like deadpan. Like, maybe you'll listen to him this time. <laughs> it's like, like such a like mature, like, yeah, maybe you should stop fucking around and like open your eyes. Be here with yeah. your family. Like I, the, the overall metaphor of this movie is mind blowing. Like I, I, I don't think like I caught onto it fully until we started talking about it. But yeah, this is a film about loss and grief and trauma and you know coping with it and learning to let it go because at a certain point it becomes a demon. You until know? the last ten minutes, anyway. Until the last ten minutes. But you've even got the neighbor character. Which is an interesting view because it's a, a guy who's recently lost his wife to suicide and a guy who's recently lost his parents to a car accident mm-hmm. and they're both grieving. And my only complaint about neighbor characters, I really wanted a shot of them sitting in the garage at least once, just splitting a six pack, talking like men instead of, I, I appreciated the driveway conversations because it established their relationship. But I wanted something more intimate between the two guys that are obviously that comfortable together. And I feel like too, like you do kind of get that slight intimacy when he helps him rewire the house so he can power his machine. But I feel like too, when we hit that end point where he kind of betrays Ethan and steals the machine because Mm -hmm. he can't overcome his own grief, like it would have been a much more painful betrayal if it had been like, I trusted you, I let you into my home, I told you what this thing does, and you've stolen it, and now my baby sister is in danger. Like, I feel like if there had been more intimacy between those two characters, like... There would have been more conflict. Yeah, and that, like, that confrontation at the end when he's wanting to destroy the machine and Tom's, like, trying to stop him would have been a much more beautiful Mm -hmm. moment because he would have been like, you don't know what this is, you know, and, like... Yeah. It just would have been a, like... But again, a minor misstep. Mm-hmm. Minor misstep. Just we, If you're listening to this, team who made our house, um, <laughs> we believe in you. I'm not trying to fucking beat you up on it. That's the new mission over here. The mistakes were made to do to, to, so. I, I mean, almost all of my notes are praising this movie. I mean, there's very complex, well thought out pits the brother against the brother and then makes them come together as a team to like create this mission just to make um, Becca happy. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, Ethan and Matt, they're at odds at the beginning. And what I loved about when they came together was Matt says shit. 
Like, he just drops it like a grown-ass fucking man. He goes, I'm tired of this shit. And it's, it's like, I feel you, little dude. <laughs> and Ethan awesome. doesn't correct him. He just... <laughs> he's like, yeah, man, fuck this. I like, too, at the end where uh, Becca's in danger. They're both kind of sort of in their own way working together to save her. Like, Matt, mm. even though Hannah is there at this point, and Hannah's the adult, and Hannah probably should have stepped up. Yeah. Matt's the one who goes crawling through the tunnel to get his sister while Ethan's, like, running over to the other house trying to beat up the adult man <laughs> to, like, break the machine so that the ghosts don't eat his sister. Yeah. But there's this, like cute side-by-side where you keep switching back and forth between what what each character's doing. So it's kind of like they're sort of like team or tag teaming this, but like tackling separate missions. Yeah, my my big problem with this film, besides the last ten minutes, is that Hannah is so ostracized and the family is so intimate that Hannah's not a cardboard character. Like, we do get glimpses of her personality... She's not a terrible actor, but she's almost unnecessary. And in the original, um, The Machine of Ghosts, or whatever the fuck the name of the uh, thing is. Ghost from the Machine. Ghost from the Machine. Um, the original thing does not mention an outside figure, so it would have just be... would have Wow, I'm <laughs> buzzed. Words uh, are hard. <laughs> we, it would have just been the intimacy of that household. Like, this should have just been a family film. Well, I... I actually think Hannah's character should still be there. I think Hannah's character needed to be fleshed out way more on the front end. Yeah. And then... So we remember her as somebody that we like. Yeah, Yeah. well, and then still dropped off the way that she is, and then she can come back at the end of the movie, Mm -hmm. because I think the most important thing about her character in this film is that she... Like, Ethan's much more focused and much more reserved. Like, he's focused on just fixing the machine and trying to keep this family afloat and like he's struggling to balance those two because he's still blowing off his family like picks them up late and like all this stuff because he's obsessed with this machine and hannah's more human well hannah's presence shows that there is still pain inside this character that we Mm -hmm. don't really get to visit with because we see both of the young children like suffering and like emotional and like the little girls sleeping in Ethan's room at night. Like, the young brother is, like, very angry and frustrated. He's sleeping in his parents' room. Yeah, like, sitting in his parents' room because he misses them so much. And we don't get to see Ethan's pain up close and personal because he's such a detached character. And the closest thing we see to Ethan struggling is that he has this ex-girlfriend who still calls mm-hmm. him, still texts him, still reaches out to him, still loves him, still wants to yeah. be supportive. And he cannot on any level connect with her. Like, he refuses to call her back, refuses to text her back. Like He's refuses. burying himself in his work. Yeah, like, burying yeah. himself in trying to take care of his family and take care of his work. So I feel like if we had had more of their relationship on the front end, that would have felt more painful. Like, he can't emotionally connect with yeah. her anymore. So, like, I feel like her character is necessary to see his character's grief. But at the front end, she's brought in as, like... A friend. This almost. is a person that he's having sex with, and then like they try to reintroduce her three quarters of the as way one through. As the inventors, as like <laughs> somebody Ethan would go to for, for advice, advice. Yeah. and it's like no, you showed up for you know yeah. an insinuated sex scene, and then you disappeared for the entire film. Yeah. Like I need that lady 
to like maybe the machine starts to crank down and Ethan doesn't know what to do and she steps in and like fixes yeah, a part. Yeah, like something I, subtle like that would make it feel like they were equal yeah. in that in that playing. Field. Or whenever she tells him like he's trying to work on the thing the next morning and she tells him to let it go and he'll figure it out later yeah. if they had been brainstorming it together instead, you know. Like they wake up, they start going over notes, and then have sex. Yeah, like it's something subtle, subtle, subtle fix. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like if there had been a stronger emotional connection between the two of them, that could have been a subtle look into like mm-hmm. Ethan is also struggling because you don't ever really get a sense of outside of like his occasional like sigh of frustration at the kitchen being a mess or whatever. You don't ever really get a sense of Ethan's like yeah. internal struggle. So. I don't know. I liked her there. I just needed needed more. a little bit more. Yeah. These are all small complaints. Again, fucking love this <laughs> thing. Uh, but we've got a note for consistency and symbolism in this film. Kristen Pennington. I didn't know how to segue. <laughs> terrible segue. <laughs> uh, I I think my favorite thing about this movie because a lot of characters in our two star films are very cardboard characters and like. Even if we get a brief glimpse at who they are, they kind of drop off. <coughs> Sorry. Um, as the film wears on and we get into the blood and gore of the movie or whatever. And um, Ethan doesn't really change. Like, Ethan's very focused on his work. And even whenever... And, like, he blows off his family a bit. And even whenever he's now responsible for the health and well-being of his family, he can't really balance those responsibilities. Like, yeah. he's still very much focused on his work. So he's play pretending like this Mr. Mom role where he's like, I'm going to make you breakfast, but your breakfast is cereal and I'm going to drop you off at school and your teacher hates me because, you know, I'm always behind and you're telling her about imaginary friends that you have that I don't even know are imaginary (laughs) friends. Like he can't quite balance the situation. I like a a lot that he didn't know if that was a ghost or if that was a friend at school. Yeah. Because they stopped having those conversations. Yeah, but it establishes that his character is still the same throughout. Like, even whenever he's, like, having a hard time and trying to, like, keep up, he doesn't change as a person. And I really like that about this movie. It's like he is still... Like, that's all he has in life. Yeah. He's trying to fix this project because it'll make everything better. It's the only way he knows how yeah. to fix it. Yeah. And, like, I, I like that solidly throughout the movie. All of the characters are consistent. Like, Becca is very obsessed with their swimming thing, and that comes up multiple times. Mm-hmm. And Every time she takes a bath, she's, like, trying to time herself <laughs> with the stopwatch. And I don't know that other than his video game stuff. Not really has any like special interests, but he's just that broody teen the mm-hmm. whole movie. And at the end, he's like, "Well, fuck it, I gotta, I gotta be the brave one here, so let's get this done," you know. And then the neighbor, I think, is the only one that really changes. But he's like, we introduce straight away at the beginning that he's grieving, and then when his grief hits its peak, is when his character becomes like a pseudo bad guy in this yeah. movie and it makes perfect sense it's not like out of like left field that like he's the bad villain. guy yeah. yeah and like or an anti-hero I guess yeah. but, it, <laughs> but it's not like out of nowhere yeah. like when he's kind of sort of filling the bad guy role it's like oh that makes sense like mm-hmm. he's he's still dealing with this <laughs> yeah and the, the symbolism of the whole thing like I, I really liked 
how at the beginning there was an emphasis. They've got this chain on the door to the garage. Mm -hmm. And after it becomes Ethan's obsession to perfect his machine to, you know, give Matt and Becca some sort of connection connection to their parents, the chain is no longer on the door. It's just dangling. So it's a thing anybody can walk in and out of. It's not this part of Ethan that he's thrown out, you know, that, that, that nobody else can connect with. The, um, it was like his little secret before. Yeah. Because he then, kept his machine covered and everything, too. And then he brought in uh, Becca and taught her how to flip all the switches, and then she's teaching Matt how to run the machine. <laughs> Don't know that that was, on a parental level, the best no. choice. <laughs> Should have kept it complicated, because you've got a really smart five-year-old. <laughs> but it keeps the movie going, because mm. they definitely turn the machine on, and Tom also easily turns the machine on. <laughs> like, definitely should have like had some crazy complex passcode, and then yeah. all your problems would have been solved. <laughs> but <laughs> it keeps the movie going. <laughs> um, I, I, I like to... It was subtle, but the machine... Very much looks like a record player. Yeah, I think they was... definitely built it out of an old, you know, uh, fucking turntable mm-hmm. type setup. And when he smashes it, it looks like, you pointed that out, like the arm of the record yeah. player is sticking up. And that that is kind of a nice, like, homage to... His father. Yeah, yeah. like their connection that they have with each other. So I, I feel like it had to have been intentional. It's very subtle, but I feel like it had to be on purpose. Because yeah. it looks way too much like a record player. It's fucking player. gorgeous. But... We're at 46, 48 minutes, so we might as well. Oh, that's what I was about to say. In the last 10 <sighs> minutes of the movie. Jesus. I wish I could light a cigarette right now. <laughs> I don't even mind. There's a really cool play with smoke throughout the whole movie. Um, we see this smoky ghost figure lady throughout a huge chunk of the movie. We see the smoke kind of drifting anytime. Kind of. Out of focus. Yeah. Um, the important <laughs> part there. We see the smoke kind of drifting throughout scenes anytime there's kind of danger. And um, I don't mind that. It's like subtle. It's very subtly shaped. You don't see a distinct face. You can just tell it's a lady. Yeah. Um, still kind of left a little confused about who the lady is even at the end of the movie. Well, the I'm, lady is, the, there was the couple and the husband murdered the wife. No, he murdered the kid. And like. Oh, I thought the husband Tom, murdered the wife. No, I didn't he, realize he, he murdered, murdered the, the his daughter. He murdered his own daughter. That's who Alice is. Oh, shit. Sure. Um, That's right, yeah. Tom thinks the lady is his wife, but the lady shows up at the college when they're doing the lab experiment. The lady shows up in their house, yeah. and then the lady shows up at Tom's house. So I don't know if Tom just wanted it to be his wife. She's supposed to be like the Grim Reaper. Yeah, yeah. like I, that, that bugged me a bit that we never really know who the lady is, but I don't mind. The way that she looks or the way that it's executed. It's a little creepy-ish. It's kind of cool when she's back behind the shower curtain and it's a little psycho, like, homage. Mm-hmm. Like, it's neat. Um, I even weirdly kind of like the homage to um, Blair Witch where yeah. <laughs> Becca's standing in the corner staring at the corner because I'm not going to lie, that's a bit creepy. Mm-hmm. When she turns around and there's very clearly someone wearing... Um, a morph suit that's just yeah. black holding a hand over her mouth that looks kind of dumb. Uh, I don't even terribly mind the weird ghost figure that has the light bulb head that's trying to kill I the two of them. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty cool. 
The ghost lady developing golden red glowing eyes. That's that the second that you lost me. And Jurassic that might have been Tom. that might have been like seven minutes before the end. Oh, and yeah, then I was just so like, bad. Oh fuck you. It's so bad. Like I don't understand she does <coughs> she does that stereotypical She doesn't need glowing eyes. It would I would have accepted it without the glowing eyes. I'm gonna call it Gollaming. Like if you've ever seen Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings, there's that one instance where Gollum turns around and it's a little cheesy in hindsight. Like, the first time you watch it, it's probably like, oh, but, like, in hindsight, when you go back and watch the scene later, it's a little cheesy. But there's this one scene in one of the Lord of the Rings movies where Gollum just suddenly turns around and it's, (laughs) and, like, that's what this lady does. And it's so damn dumb. It's fucking ridiculous. And then he grabs the baseball bat, swings through her like a goddamn hero, and beats the machine to death. No, she drags Tom down the stairs. She's not even in the Oh, I thought he went through her shadow. But maybe he did. I don't know. But she drags Tom down the stairs. Yeah. And Tom lives anyway. Yeah. So that whole stupid scene was stupid. This bitch could reach people physically this entire film? Like, could just grab people? Why weren't they hugging the kids? And, like, the thing that makes me mad about this is, like, like I said, I don't mind ghost bulbhead dude as much. Like, it was a little, yeah. at first, I was like, that's a little It cheesy. reminds me of that video game, Silent Hill, with the pyramid head. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a little cheesy initially, but after you kind of see the bulb in his head, because Matt, or not Matt, Ethan's whole thing was he was trying to create energy. Yeah. It's kind of neat-ish. So, like, I'll forgive even that. Like, my fix to this whole movie is... You see weird ghost lady material material materializing. Words are materializing. hard. Ooh, we found yeah. Kristen. Um, she's awake now. She's she's like <laughs> becoming like flesh and bones slowly. Ooh. It's creeping up her body. And like the fix to that, if we had developed an emotional connection between Tom and Ethan ahead of time, is for them to have a heart to heart. Look, it's not your wife. We need like, to. Like you kill need this to bitch. let her go. <laughs> My sister's in danger. We have to end this. And like. Tom emotionally breaking down, and I don't care if Tom takes the bat, if Ethan takes the bat, who takes the bat? Somebody smashes through this bitch. Hits we the machine. See, yeah, we see the smoke disintegrating, the machine smashes, and she falls like ash to the ground. That, yeah. Would have been so poetically beautiful because... We have to defeat this grief yeah, together. Yeah, they're like, both it having to the, overcome yeah, it. Again, that mixed with them sharing a beer in the garage. And you've established two men who are able to overcome their grief through the face of adversity to get done what needs to get done. You would have wrapped the metaphor up with a beautiful bow. Yeah. And, like, there's even that pretty uh, scene where Becca and Matt, which I don't like the weird morph suit hands that are holding them down. Those are a bit cheesy. But there's that pretty scene where Becca... And matter pins the wall, and the weird light bulb ghost dude is coming close to them. And Becca's so afraid she passes out. Mm-hmm. And Matt's there by himself, like, "Oh my God, we're gonna die! Like, wake up, wake up! Yeah. This, you like, stop!" And like, if you had, if he had just smashed weird ghost lady and smashed the machine, and then we had had that moment where, like, even Matt, like, standing there facing his fears, had to accept, like, this isn't real. Our parents yeah. are gone. Like, we need to overcome yeah. it. Yeah, like. So Don't introduce poetry. a metaphor. Yeah, the poetic part would have been closing out the metaphor. Like, if you want to go this route, and I, I trust you, like, I believe in you, dear writer people, you know, like, you can have that metaphor. I'm Trust me, I'm in a work right now, and I'm sorry that he comes up all the fucking time. But 
uh, as of this recording, we are four days away from the anniversary of my father's death. So I've been thinking about him a lot, and I've been a couple of years bashing around a certain idea to kind of deal with it. And you can't pull back. Like, you, you need to dive into that shit. If you're going to introduce the metaphor that implies that through each other we can all become stronger in overcoming our grief, your closing action needs to define that. Like, As a writer, though, I have a question for you. Okay. What's the move for after we've defeated the ghosts? Do they drive off into the sunset and that's it? Or do we still have that moment of them unpacking and the doll is there in the box and we realize the grief is still with them? What I love about the doll is it exists with the little girl yeah. only. Mm -hmm. She tries to give it back to the house but that implies that she doesn't understand that grief yet, and it will come back later. So do you... I think that was the right you move. You still have that scene where... She brings it back into the house, um, leaves it, the moving guy runs it back out to her, she runs it back in, puts it back down, and then it's in the box anyway. That's the move. Like, that was beautifully done. Because that implies that, you know, 5, 10, 20 years down the line, she's also going to have to come to terms. You know, she's not done with it just because she's six. Yeah. She's six. She doesn't understand the implications of growing up without her parents, you know. So I think that is the right move. Good to know. What do you think? Now that you've explained it, yeah. I'd like, to me, it felt, and maybe that's because we did My have... My problem is with the whole neighbor smashing yeah. up the machine. And I, I think we, maybe... We didn't get closure with the parents, mm -hmm. with the older people. Like, if Ethan and Matt would have had some sort of a closure with the neighbor, like, amongst their parents, like, I would have got that. But I love the idea of leaving it in the hands of Becca sometime in the future. Yeah. I, I think the reason the doll, like when you explain it like that, that does sound better, but I think the reason the doll bothered me is because we do have that cheesy, glowing-eyed ghost scene. To me, a lot of uh, scary movies do that at the end, where they have like some kind of item or like passing shadowy figure or whatever at the tail end of the movie, so it's literally just like a, it's not uh, it's over! It's not over! Yeah, so to me it felt kind of like a cheesy, horror-like cliche like oh mm -hmm. you thought they left yeah. the ghosts behind but they didn't I, I think if we had had a more it's like nightmare when freddie like comes through the door and grabs the mm -hmm. mom <laughs> yeah i think if we had had a more symbolic like thought out ending to the actual situation i wouldn't have minded that because it, it is an implication that you're still carrying it with you yeah um I feel like the way it was executed is just an implication that the ghosts have followed them to the new house, and that bugs me. <laughs> yeah, that that pisses me off. But uh, I loved this fucking yeah, movie. Yeah, other than that, yeah. fantastic movie. But next week, we're going to bring you a movie you're not fucking ready for. Oh, God. We, we don't know the, what it's rated, though. We know that it's uh, widely regarded as the worst film ever made. Wait, let me... We watched a movie the other day called The Disaster Artist. And um, it's about the making of a film called The Room. And uh, The Room is widely accepted 
as the oh, worst film ever made. What's the ratings? Uh, critics gave it a 25. <laughs> what did the audience give it? 47. The audience likes it just slightly better. <laughs> the audience is probably because it's a Rocky Horror Show-esque like, cult <laughs> classic. I cannot believe you bought that movie. So I bought The Room for $10 on Amazon. So if you want to go give $10 to Jeff Bezos, do it by buying The Room. And we're going to watch The Room on Monday night, and then we're going to record an episode for you discussing our feelings about the worst film that was ever made. The Disaster Artist was weirdly uplifting, though. I loved The Disaster <laughs> Artist. It's got James Franco. It's got James Franco's brother, whose name nobody knows, and you only <laughs> need to know one name because Franco's already known. <laughs> it could be Jim. Maybe it's James and Jim. James and Jim. I think it starts with a D for some reason, but I have Dickhead no Dickhead Franco. No. <laughs> All right. Um, but for the time being, uh, if you find The Room and you watch The Room, and hi, Mark, um, <laughs> you can send us an email at... <laughs> at NightmareBoxProductions at Gmail. Or you can go on over to Facebook. Tell us everything you think about our house. Facebook.com slash NightmareBoxProductions. Or the Instagram, our house. At Nightmare Box Pro. In the middle of the street. Uh, or you can go on over to Twitter and tell me how we're tearing you apart. Uh, that one is actually Nightmare Box Pro. I started uh, to save for Instagram. Or you can go to our website. Oh, you remembered. Oh, hi, Brat. It's thenightmarebox.blog. <laughs> And uh, over there you can see our behind-the-scenes footage. Hopefully by now we'll be able to watch Kristen's new film because it's coming along swimmingly. Mm-hmm. We just It's a lot of editing work because I am not an actor, much like the guy in the room, which we're going to talk about <laughs> for sure on the next Tuesday. Um, but yeah, you can see all the pictures, you can see the films, you can read a couple of stories. Eventually you can buy my book, The Madman Diaries, a collection. But until then, you can buy it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Or you can just shoot us an email and it, I'll send it Get to you for $10. Yeah, there's beer stained copies. $10. I'll send it to you. I don't care. If it costs me $15 to send it to you, $10, I will send you the Madman Diaries. You will be as disappointed as everybody else. Uh, <laughs> or you can go to youtube.com slash Kristen Pennington. You can see all of Kristen Pennington's earlier works before I change that bitch's name, because that's what I'm about <laughs> in this world. Or you can go to youtube.com slash Productions, where you can see the dolls and the happy birthday and the new film, hopefully. That we still haven't named. That we still haven't named. <laughs> It, if you got have a few, name ideas, fucking email they've me. They've not seen it. Well, email me anyway. <laughs> we might just call it untitled. I have no fucking <laughs> idea. Is that all of them, my love? I'm gonna ooh. I'm gonna call it instead of snakes on a plane. I'm gonna call it watches on a table. Watches ooh. Watches on a table. <laughs> That's the. Movie. I want to use watches. I don't know if I'm gonna use watches on a table, but like <laughs> it watches or she watches or. Something like that. Yeah. We're going to come up with a title. We'll have it for you on Friday. (laughs) Love you, sweetheart. Love you. And I love you guys. And we're going to talk to you on Friday. I'm going to go make some motherfucking hamburgers. In the middle of the street. (laughs) I don't know the next line. Our house. (laughs) 
where I'd like to be my meat. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>